Hi everyone, you're listening to Guts and Girl Bits. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and I hope to share with you all sorts of information about women's health and digestive health to educate and empower you to make informed choices about your own health. Please remember that all information is general and does not replace consulting with a healthcare practitioner. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Guts and Girl Bits. I'm so happy to be talking to you about a condition that I work with so many women with, so it has been on my podcast to-do list for a long time. And it is nearing the end of September, which is PCOS Awareness Month, so what better time to release a podcast episode about PCOS than now? PCOS, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, is a complex condition that can significantly affect a woman's quality of life. One of the biggest ways it does this is by impacting on a woman's ability to conceive and maintain a pregnancy, but it can impact a woman's self-esteem by making it difficult to lose weight. It causes acne and hair issues such as too much hair where a woman doesn't want it to be and potentially thinning of scalp hair. Of course, there is more to it than that, but those are the major things that women report as the issues that they are most upset by. So let's start to understand PCOS a little bit more. And first, I'm going to just touch on the lack of awareness that surrounds PCOS. Sadly, but not unexpectedly, there is a lack of awareness and understanding of PCOS with many people who have not been diagnosed, not aware of the condition at all, but also women who have been diagnosed and some health practitioners as well, not properly understanding the condition. A big part of this lack of awareness is the lack of research into the condition, but also I believe it is part of the bigger picture of gender bias in medicine and many conditions that are specific to women don't have the attention they deserve and Well, perhaps the exception being breast cancer. One of the things that doesn't help this lack of awareness and understanding is the name of the condition itself, polycystic ovarian syndrome. The name makes a few false implications, which cause overall confusion. So here are a few points that I want you to know. Number one, the condition doesn't originate in the ovaries and the condition is not all about the ovaries either. After menopause, the condition can still persist. It's more of a metabolic condition with systemic high androgens, testosterone and insulin resistance being the core drivers. Number two, a PCOS ovary doesn't actually have cysts Rather, what you see on an ultrasound is immature follicles. So follicles are the little sacs that your oocyte or eggs sit in waiting for the hormones from the brain to tell it to mature and then to ovulate. The issue is these follicles in PCOS is that they aren't developing properly. So if we get them to develop fully, these so-called cysts would be a baby if met with a sperm. So many physicians and researchers have proposed a new name change for PCOS. However, this was being proposed back in 2013 and it's 2020. So who knows when that will happen? I agree that the condition does need a a name change because I feel that PCOS is not a good representation. One of the names suggested, which I like, is metabolic reproductive syndrome. However, other names suggested were polyfollicular ovarian syndrome with metabolic dysfunction and or hyperandrogenic manifestations 
as a different subtype options, which would be abbreviated as PFOSMD or, and or HM. The list of potential signs and symptoms for PCOS is long, which explains why there are so many women out there that don't know why they have the symptoms that they do. So let's go through some of those PCOS symptoms. The most common symptoms of PCOS include irregular periods or absent periods, acne or lots of pimples, weight gain, excessive hair growth, also known as hirsutism, and this can, layer, this can vary in locations and intensity and will also be different depending on your nationality. Less well-known but still common symptoms include anxiety and or depression, fatigue, brain fog, skin tags, dark patches on the skin, low libido, skin disturbances and snoring, and sleep apnea, which can also be more common due to the higher level of androgens. And poor sleep can worsen PCOS by worsening insulin resistance. And I'll talk a bit more about sleep later. And more than that, there are other complications, especially regarding fertility and baby's health. The higher level of androgens can increase the risk of miscarriage and are also linked with some increased risk for baby, such as higher birth weight, among others. Women with PCOS also tend to have difficulty with breastfeeding and a higher risk of diabetes after birth. Thankfully, many of these risks are modifiable by correcting the underlying causes of PCOS, which I'll discuss how we can look at doing that later. So let's talk about causes of PCOS. How does this PCOS switch get turned on? Well, we know there are different ways that PCOS can express, and for these different subtypes, there are different causes. The main cause for the majority of women is insulin resistance, which causes the male hormones, androgens, to become too high. Insulin, a hormone when it is too high, can trigger more production of testosterone, but it can also lower the amount of SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, which means that our bodies can't bind up the excessive testosterone as well. And so more is circulating through our body, causing the symptoms of PCOS such as acne and hair issues. Insulin excess also affects our FSH-LH ratio, which is important for ovulation. And high testosterone stops our follicles from maturing completely. So this means a woman's ability to ovulate is affected. And if that is affected, their chances of conceiving is reduced. And estrogen and progesterone balance is also affected. There are different types of androgens such as testosterone, DHEA and androstenedione. And depending on which one is elevated, we can get an idea about what is driving your PCOS. For instance, if DHEA is high, we know that stress can be a big driver for this. It's also possible to have PCOS without insulin resistance, and this is typically due to inflammation. And this is a rarer subtype, but certainly something to consider. Something else to consider is your gut health can play a role in both hormone balance and metabolism. Your gut bacteria are responsible for so many things in the body. And if you've listened to my previous podcasts or read some of my other blogs, you'll know the microbiome is of vital importance in improving health. So how does it affect PCOS? 
Well, if your microbiome is out of balance, it can affect your metabolism, which can worsen insulin resistance. And an out of balance microbiome could also cause hormone problems by allowing more of your bad hormone metabolites to cycle through the body. So we talked about a PCOS switch briefly before. Why do we have this in the first place? We know there is a genetic component to it. And there is also some possibility that your genetic likelihood can be influenced by exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals in past generations. So substances that are passed through transgenerationally. So effectively, what chemicals and diet your grandmother was exposed to will, will impact your risk for PCOS. This transgenerational effect has been demonstrated in animal studies when mice were fed an obesogenic diet and were given substances that mimic a high androgen state to bring about a metabolic state of PCOS. And it was found that their subsequent generations also expressed this condition. It was also found that women with PCOS had levels of chemicals in their system that were not in use anymore and was found to have been passed through in utero from their mothers and grandmothers. And these chemicals are increasing the activity of the androgens and also acting as obesogens, contributing to the weight gain and insulin resistance. So let's talk about diagnosis issues. So how common is PCOS as well? The prevalence is about 8 to 13%, effectively 1 in 10 women. But it is a condition that is both overdiagnosed in young girls and underdiagnosed in older women. One of the issues is getting a diagnosis is that there isn't one specific diagnostic criteria, so you can get mixed messages. Three main diagnostic criteria exist. The National Institutes of Health, the Rotterdam Criteria, and the Androgen Excess Society criteria. All of the criteria require all of the other possible endocrine disorders to be excluded. My criteria of choice in clinic is the Rotterdam Diagnostic Criteria. It requires a female to have two of these three criteria. Number one, irregular periods. Number two, clinical and or biochemical hyperandrogenism. And number three, polycystic ovaries which would be present on an ultrasound. Many young girls are being prematurely diagnosed with PCOS but it is normal for young girls to present with some symptoms of PCOS and this often resolves in a few years without intervention. It can take three to six years for a menstrual cycle to regulate itself however there is early intervention that can prolong this process and it is thought that the most common recommendation given at this time if PCOS is suspected is the oral contraceptive pill given to supposedly regulate a period but this can worsen insulin resistance which perpetuates the condition. So what are the other causes that need to be excluded? Well this could be conditions such as Cushing's adrenal tumours or congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Screening would include blood tests for TSH, prolactin, FSH, LH and anything else your practitioner feels warranted based on your signs and symptoms. Getting back to teenage girls and their periods, it's not uncommon for girls to have irregular periods when they're young and this will usually regulate itself within six years. My personal preference in clinic is to not interfere with hormones in young girls but to allow their bodies to regulate themselves. If hormones are interfered with too early then it will typically delay this regulation process until later 
And this is relevant to not just herbs, but especially to things such as hormonal contraceptives. So we briefly touched on it before. A common understanding is that women with PCOS literally have cysts on their ovaries. But this isn't the case, as the name implies. The polycystic ovarian appearance, appearance that some, but important to note, not all, women have on ultrasound is actually a high account of immature eggs within their follicles. And these eggs aren't getting the signal from the brain to mature further, which would therefore trigger ovulation and allow that oocyte to release. If you can remember the diagnostic criteria, the presence of two of the three criteria is what it takes to get diagnosed. So if a woman has irregular periods and signs of high androgens, she can have PCOS without the signs of any, without the presence of any cysts on her ovaries at all. Now, one of the perspectives I have heard before about PCOS, which I love, is that it's an evolutionary trait which in years gone by was actually protective. If you consider that being pregnant and giving birth was a life-threatening thing at worst and a depleting event at best, it can make sense why a condition like PCOS can reduce one's fertility and that's actually protective in tough times. Insulin resistance is beneficial in times of scarcity as it allows you to store more of the energy from foods which in famine times is beneficial. In times of plenty, such as now, uh, this unfortunately works against us. And in a time without contraception, women may have gone from one baby to the next without a break, which can be quite a high level of stress and depletion. So for women with PCOS, who have longer times between ovulation and so fewer opportunities to conceive, this could be considered a positive thing. Nowadays, this might not be much comfort, especially if you're wanting to conceive. But I do believe that any time you can view your health from more of a positive light, it is beneficial. So ladies with PCOS, you might like to shift your frame of thinking to more of a I'm a survivor mindset. So let's talk about some other considerations for PCOS. Well, sleep. Sleep disturbances are reported to be twice as likely for women with PCOS. And studies that show that women with PCOS are more likely to report difficulty falling asleep, to have restless sleep occasionally, and often feel severely tired. Sleep problems also occurred in women with PCOS who were in the normal weight range. So being overweight isn't the thing that causes it. It's still unclear how PCOS affects sleep. But we know that the metabolic impacts of the condition play a big role. The hormones melatonin and cortisol are responsible for our sleep cycles to a large degree, and these are strongly influenced by insulin resistance and elevated testosterones, as well as the stress placed on the body if obese. Sleep apnea is often reported in women with PCOS, and more often in those who are overweight. In those women who are considered to be severely obese, which is those who have a BMI greater than 40 kilograms per meter squared of height, the prevalence of sleep apnea in both men and women can be as high as 92%. The mental health impacts of PCOS, which is an increase of anxiety and depression, 
have a bi-directional association with poor sleep quality and insomnia. Weight loss and exercise is one of the best ways to improve sleep quality in women with PCOS and if needed, there are herbal medicines which can be of support. Nutrients and such as magnesium and calcium and the amino acid L-theanine can also be supportive to calm the nervous system and promote relaxation and sleep. So we know that women with PCOS have higher rates of anxiety and depression. PCOS can be a very distressing condition for many women and this varies from person to person with some of the highest reported contributors to the anxiety and depression being the impact to fertility, the impact on physical appearance and self-esteem such as weight issues, hirsutism and acne and also the frustration about the lack of a clear-cut solution and a lack of awareness and understanding of the condition. There was a study that found that women with PCOS who were physically active reported less depression and anxiety than those who were inactive. So while I love to use herbal medicines to support mood in the nervous system, I do frequently recommend exercise to support mood in women with PCOS. Now there are a few things to consider when trying to conceive as women with PCOS have an increased risk of some complications during pregnancy. The good news is that if PCOS has been treated, these risks return to almost the same level as women who do not have PCOS. These risks include an increased likelihood of developing gestational diabetes, pregnancy-induced hypertension and preterm birth and an increased risk of neonatal complications. The increase in birth weight of babies born to women with PCOS also suggests an increased likelihood of C-section deliveries. The treatment used in the study I mentioned before was an anti-androgenic therapy, which means that correcting hormonal balance before conceiving will improve pregnancy outcomes. This doesn't necessarily have to be through medication, it can be through natural remedies and I'm going to talk more about what we can do to treat PCOS later but the good news is that if you can get your hormones under control that's going to be just absolutely fantastic. One small study looked at the incidence of gestational diabetes in women with PCOS and found the prevalence was 30 and that these women had impaired blood sugar levels after having their babies as well. So what we can take from this is that PCOS can have a long-term impact on glucose metabolism. And again, it highlights how important it is to try and take steps to improve your hormones and blood sugar level balance before conceiving. I recommend that all couples do a preconception care program before conceiving, which at minimum entails taking a high quality preconception care nutrient complex and changing your diet for three to four months before conceiving. But if there are hormonal imbalances, it's important to work on this with a practitioner before trying to conceive. A lesser known complication with PCOS is that it can cause some difficulties with breastfeeding and milk supply. However, this can also be supported by working on hormones before pregnancy and with the support of a lactation consultant after birth. Thankfully, not all women with PCOS experience difficulties breastfeeding and the information that says it is potentially problematic is only based on small studies. 
in the research that we do have available, the breastfeeding difficulties were only experienced in the first three months and seemed to regulate after that time. Breastfeeding requires the hormones prolactin and oxytocin to work properly, but we also need adequate progesterone during pregnancy for the breast tissue to develop properly. Insulin resistance and high androgens can affect hormones in all of these aspects. Again, we need to be working on this before trying to conceive. So how do we manage PCOS? Well, there are so many options for treating PCOS. And as is usually the case with naturopathic remedies, you get the best results when you're treated holistically. This means considering various things like what exactly is happening with your PCOS subtype. The information I'm giving you is a starting point to take to your practitioner to discuss whether it is right for you and to give you hope that there are so many possibilities to help beyond what your doctor may have told you. And while there have been not that many studies that find that there's remedies that are universally helpful for most PCOS subtypes, there is one that does seem to be of great benefit and it's the amino acid inositol. Taking two grams twice a day is my recommended dose for this. Diet and lifestyle changes are great for managing insulin resistance and while it's tricky to find research specifically for this in PCOS, we know it helps address the cause. I recommend 150 minutes of exercise a week which can be split into small blocks of exercise such as 30 minutes 5 times a week or larger chunks such as 50 minutes 3 times a week. Eating a low GI GL diet is also very important to address insulin resistance and having a diet rich in antioxidants and low in inflammatory foods is also very helpful. If you are overweight and have PCOS, then aiming to lose 5-10% to 10 of your body weight is a fantastic goal and this seems to be that it's the magic number that improves fertility rates and reduces risk for diabetes. Losing weight ideally would be done through a combination of diet and exercise. Nutrients such as magnesium, B vitamins, particularly activated B vitamins, and then vitamin D and chromium can also be helpful. Omega-3 fatty acids such as fish oil or algae oil can also help with some of the components of PCOS such as high cholesterol and inflammation. Other herbs that I would consider is berberine containing herbs such as philodendron or barberry which help with improving insulin resistance and regulates blood lipid levels. There is also evidence showing that blood cohosh can be helpful alongside other PCOS treatment. The combination of peony and licorice has been looked at in Chinese medicine studies and this is still a good inclusion in treatment. Again, it depends on the individual. Bulgarian tribulus can also be helpful to regulate ovulation. With all things herbs, my preference is to always tailor a herbal formula to a person and then you get the most benefit from it. Spearmint can be helpful to reduce excessive androgens and I like this when it's used in a tea and it's why I included it in one of my tea blends that I've designed to support skin health to reduce that hormonal aspect. Also supporting gut health is very important as a poor microbiome can impair metabolism and worsen inflammation. 
So eating a diet rich in vegetables with lots of diversity is fantastic for improving the flora diversity in your gut. But it can also be helpful to take probiotics or prebiotics. So discuss this with your practitioner to make sure you've got the right type for you. So you can see there's so many things that you can do to support PCOS and I really hope that this information is helpful for you. If you would like to learn more, I do have some extra information on my website, naturopathnsw.com.au. And thank you again so much for listening. If you're still on, I'd love to hear from you, any thoughts that you have, any questions. You can join me on my Instagram page, Guts and Girl Bits. Please share a screenshot if you've been listening and I would also absolutely love it if you can please leave a review. It really helps this podcast to be spread. So thank you once again. Be well. Bye.